okay, you've been waiting, I'm ready, let's go. Come on in the room, everybody, on this beautiful Thursday night, and I pray that you guys are prepared. I pray that, like one lady said, she's just going to come bald because I'm always coming for her scalp. Just, I hope you guys are ready for tonight because we're going to have a conversation that I think is going to be great. It's going to be profound. It's necessary. I pray and ask God to give me oil for this particular message. So I need y'all to come in the room, take your screenshot, tag us, let a friend know we are now live, send the link, share. Drop a comment, let us know if this is your first time, if this is your nighttime, a part of this cuffing season series, and it has just been blessing me, so my prayer is that it has also been blessing you. So, as usual, I feel as though I'm a man on a mission, I have a lot to share with you, a little time to do it, so let's get to work. A foundational scripture is going to live in Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29 just a few verses, uh, Genesis chapter 29, verse 32, it says, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord Heard that I am not loved. He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me. This woman has given everything she had to try to get a husband's attention. He'll become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. So she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. A verse of emphasis and the particular text in our foundational narrative that is going to serve us for the time that we have together on tonight is the halfway mark of verse 32. It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will now love me. Father, we thank you for this moment in time. We thank you for allowing us to have the access to feast and dissect your word, oh God. We're praying that you flood the atmosphere. It doesn't matter if we're watching on an iPad, an iPhone, an Android, a tablet, listening on the car to the podcast. We are praying, oh God, that you flood the atmosphere and perform surgery like only you can. And as my typical request, oh God, use me to be your PA system, your oracle, your spokesman, the soundtrack of heaven. All the study means nothing if you are magnified and if you aren't glorified. In Jesus' name, and as usual, everybody who agrees with that prayer, would you drop in the room, amen. Amen. It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I just would like to share, to you, share with you my heart. I would like to share with you what has been palpitating on my heart for the last few years, and I believe it's God-inspired. 
I believe it's God inspired. And if I just be open and honest and we just get straight to work, I want to speak around this thought from this subject for the time that we have together on tonight. When a man loves you. When a man loves you. Now, if I be honest, while I was studying and gathering sermon content, I was like, God, why are we going this direction? There, there are a lot of different avenues and directions that we can go. Why are we going and why are you inspiring me in the direction of when a man loves you? Because I believe a lot of people you have joined me on tonight, you're excited, you got your notepad, you got your tablet, you got your Bible, you got your pen, you got your checklist, and you ready. you like, yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about. That never was love. Uh-huh, that part right there. Ooh, did y'all hear what he just said? That part. It was that part for me. And sometimes you tag people and be like, listen, I wish my ex-husband could hear this. I wish my sister could hear this. I wish my brother could hear this. And then I get DMs all the time like, Jerry, where were you? Where were you in 2015? Because if I had this intelligence, if I had this information and this intel, if I had this knowledge, I would not be in recovery season after recovery season. We low-key have beef. I low-key have beef with you, Jerry, because I need to know where were you back in 2018 while I needed this information. If I had this knowledge six months ago, if I had this information five months ago, some of us, if I just had this five minutes ago, <laughs> and I understand for some of us, that may be your outlook, but if I could change your perspective for a moment, if I could change and challenge your perspective for a moment, a knowledge deficiency is not always the blame for pain. A knowledge deficiency is not always the blame for pain because sometimes we're asking God to heal us, but we don't want to let go of what's making us sick. All right. Okay, y'all been waiting all week for this, and I've been waiting for you. We're asking God to heal us, but we don't want to let go of what's making us sick. Truly, we are tired of our hearts catching a cold. We are tired and exhausted of being infected with emotional influenza. But we won't end and break up with the thing that keeps us getting infected. I feel like y'all just got real quiet. We're not letting go of the thing that keeps on getting us infected. What if it's that music that you have on your playlist? What if it's that 90s R&B, your favorite song, that's infecting you with lust? What if you're looking back and monitoring a place that God brought you out of, and you're looking at an ex down his timeline or down her timeline? What if looking back over and over is infecting you with insecurity? Maybe that's the infection. What if you're looking at how they're doing it and then look at how you do it and then looking at where they're living and then looking at where you're living? Maybe that's infecting you with comparison. Maybe our atmosphere is affecting us. Maybe our atmosphere is infecting us. Maybe that association is infecting us. And when we allow our feelings to be our driver and not our passenger, it will cause us to confuse what's good to us with what's good for us. Did y'all hear what I just said? Anytime you allow your feelings to be your driver instead of a passenger, it will cause you to confuse what's good to you with what's good for you. And I'm just trying to convince somebody watching this message on the night, you don't even recognize that ending was God helping you invest in your soul care. That breakup was an investment in your soul care. Them rejecting you was an investment in your soul care. Them cutting you off could have been an investment in your soul care. 
I need everybody watching this message on the night to forgive yourself for all the times that you left you behind to chase their approval. Let's go ahead and encourage everybody. Can I get everybody to put this in the room in all caps? I will no longer lose me while helping them find themselves. Yeah, one more time. If you have to make it personal, make it personal. I will no longer lose Jerry while helping them find themselves. I will no longer lose me. I will no longer lose me. I will no longer lose me. Why? God, why are we going the direction of when a man loves you? And y'all, God answered my request. He answered me. Because a lot of us, I want us to understand this conversation that we're having on tonight is deeper than romance. It's deeper than relational advice. And it's deeper than just marital wisdom. Because truthfully, marriage is not even permanent. I feel like that just hit somebody in the throat and it got your attention. Marriage is not even, per- not even permanent. And is there anybody watching this message, you've allowed yourself to entertain a state of depression because you're so caught up of what you want to have that is really temporary? But when marriage is not even permanent, I'm going to give you Bible. I'm going to show you this in the text just in case, like, okay, I never heard that before. Break that down. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 24, it says, Teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died. And since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third brother right down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven? Since all of them were married to her. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus was cold. Can y'all imagine somebody talking to you like that? You'll get offended. (laughs) This is that Jesus we don't talk about. Jesus says, you are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. Marriage is not even permanent. This conversation when a man loves you is deeper than romance. It is so much deeper than relational advice. The conversation that we're having on tonight, the Holy Spirit revealed to me, it is about a kingdom agenda that I'm looking to release in the earth. Because in the spiritual realm, the man is the leader. The man is the authority agent. The man is the covering. The man is the head. The man is the gatekeeper. The man is the protector of the family. Therefore, we cannot effectively change the world without first having changed men. Did y'all hear what I just said? In the spiritual realm, the man is the leader. He's the head. He's the covering. He's the protector of the family. So therefore, we can't effectively change the world if we don't have changed men. And this is something God dealt with me rather intensely about back in 2015 when I'm saying, God, use me. I want to change the world for your glory. God, use me. I want to be your billboard. I want to change the world for you. God, send me. I go. Send me. I go. Send me. I go. Let me go. Let me go. Y'all know nothing about that. I used to ask God, I want to to be used for your glory. Help me change the world. And God had to check me. He said, Jerry, 
you cannot change the world until I have first changed you. And if there are any sisters watching this message, never desire for your last name to change more than you want God to change him. Because if you rather your last name to change versus God changing him, he'll change your last name. But for the rest of your marriage, you'll be praying for God to change him. I, I need changed men. I need changed men in the earth. This is a kingdom agenda because if we can get the head to have a collision course with the love of Jesus, if we can get the covering to love Jesus, oh, if we can get the gatekeeper to love Jesus, if we can get the protector of the home to love Jesus, and then he can begin to love his wife like Christ loved the church and lead his family into that love, him loving like Jesus will help the world experience the love of Jesus. Did y'all hear what I just said? This is a kingdom agenda because a man will always treat you out of what he loves. A man will always treat you out of what he loves. So if he loves money and he loves possessions, he's going to treat you like a possession. If if he loves sex, he's going to treat you like a sex object. This is so good, y'all. If he loves nothing, he's going to treat you like nothing. Oh, but if a man ever has his heart captured by the gospel, if a man ever has his life changed by the power of the cross, if a man ever experiences the love of Jesus, and then he begins to lead his family into the love of Jesus, and that household can lead a community to experience the love of Jesus, and we can have churches that preach on the love of Jesus, then we can have a nation that experiences the love of Jesus, and then we can have the world experience the love of Jesus but it starts with the man I have to have a man who knows how to love me I have to have a man who follows me because if he loves me and he follows me he can lead people into my love it's a kingdom agenda y'all not just relational advice but something has happened something something has happened to our men something has happened to our men and it started in childhood When we were told to shut up, stop crying. I know you're not crying over that. That's just a scratch. Girls cry over that. Don't trip over her, bro. There are more fish in the sea. I know you're not crying. I know you're not acting like a punk. I know you're not acting like a sissy. Something happened to our men. It's when we were childs, we were robbed, and we were taught how to not express. And it's dangerous when a husband doesn't know how to express. It's dangerous when a son doesn't know how to express. It's dangerous when an uncle, when a grandfather, when a brother does not know how to express because in the kingdom realm, we have been wired to express the heart of God. We have been wired to model the love of God because men, we are identity givers. Y'all need to see this. You have to see this again. Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, out of the ground. The Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. What is Adam doing right here? Adam is handing out identity. What do men do? We hand out identity. What do fathers do? We hand out identity. And like I stated before, if we are the ones that hand out identity, could you imagine how detrimental it is for the family infrastructure when the identity giver is an identity crisis? Or what's worse, when the identity giver is not even there? 
And when the identity giver is an identity crisis, or if the identity giver is not even there, it automatically by default positions the family to engage in identity theft. This is why our daughters and our son feel so valued by putting all these names on us, all these jersey names on us. This is why he feels cool to have those Jordans on his feet, to have those Yeezys on his feet. This is why she feels significant to have that Louis Vuitton, to have that coach bag, all these names that we're putting on us. And I want you to recognize there's a name above every name that has chosen you. And if we don't have men who are handing out that identity, we'll have culture handed out for us. This is so good. What if we had men who did a compare and contrast with the way I love? Is that how Jesus would love? I'm not always going to just think I'm right. When I feel an emotion, the way I love, is this how Jesus would love? For the next few minutes, y'all are invited with me to get on your king behavior. Can I get everybody to drop in the room? Kingdom vibes only. Kingdom vibes only. Let's get on our king behavior. What if we were to actually look at how we love and then look how Jesus loves. As a man, how do I still love when I've been hurt? How do I still love when I've been hurt? Because historical trauma can give us a high tolerance for pain. And we have to become people that stop measuring our strength by how much we could take. We have to become people that stop measuring our strength by how much we could take. As a man, how do I love when I've been hurt? Let's look how the king would handle it. In Luke chapter 23, verse 33, it says, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand, on the right hand, and one on the left hand. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For they do not know what they do. So, as a man, how do I love when somebody hurt me? I forgive them. I forgive them. Now, get this. Forgiveness does not always mean reentry. That part, though. Forgiveness does not always mean reentry. This is why I get the Joseph test. When Joseph brothers came back, he didn't just allow them automatically to come back in his life. He first tested them. Before I introduce you to this new me, I have to see, are you the same person that threw me in the pit? Are you the same person that took my robe? Are you the same person that sold me into slavery? Because just because time has changed doesn't mean you have. Forgiveness does not always mean reentry, but like I stated week after week, forgiveness frees the prisoner. And once you forgive, you'll discover that the prisoner was you. All bitterness does is contaminate the container. All bitterness does is contaminate the container. And I want us to be people who recognize I will not allow pin, I will not allow pain to own the pin of my story. I need to say that again. I will not allow pain to own the pen of my story because it is not my author. Can I get somebody to put this in the room? Pain will not have the final say. It will not have the final say from that divorce. It will not have the final say in my singleness. It will not have the final say in my marriage. It will not have the final say in my children. It will not have the final say on my job. Pain will not have the final say because I will not allow pain to own the pen of my story. How do you love when you've been hurt? You love like the king 
with love. Let's go. Let's keep going. How do I love when I'm being falsely accused? As a man, how do I love when I'm falsely accused? Because sometimes their opinion of me can cause me to dilute my authenticity. When I care more about what they say about me, it can cause for me to dilute my authenticity. And what if I told you, what if I told you that all perfectionism is, is the fear of criticism playing dress up? This is so good, y'all. What if I told you that perfectionism is the fear of criticism playing dress up? You still care what they think. You still care what they think. How do I love as a man? Women, y'all listen to this too. How do I love after I've been falsely accused? Let's see how the king will handle it. Matthew chapter 26, verse 59. It says, now the chief priest, the elders, and the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Even though many witnesses, many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? Look at this, y'all. But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. I want you to notice this. I want you to notice this. When they were talking all that noise, what did Jesus do? He said nothing. Because you have to learn to not respond to what you're not. I don't have to respond to what I'm not. The only time Jesus said something is when he was able to identify who he was. But you can't, if you can't identify who you are, you'll constantly keep on responding to what you're not. This is why you keep clapping back in the comment section. This is why you keep clapping back to emails. And this is why you keep clapping back on the phone. Because maybe I fully haven't grasped the understanding of who I am. Because when you know who you are, you don't have to respond to what you're not. If you come to my house, you open the door and say, hey, Brittany, my dog won't even look at you. But if you say Judah, then he'll look at you. How is it a soulless beast, a soulless beast, have enough sense to recognize I don't respond to what I'm not, but we are the apex of God, carriers of the kingdom of heaven, and we keep clapping back to stuff that we're not. <laughs> How would the king handle it? He wouldn't even respond to it. I don't address shade thrown from, I don't address shade thrown from a tree with no fruit. I wouldn't even respond to it. And like I said in the Try Me series, it is not your responsibility to recreate the version of yourselves that they have of you in their head. That is your responsibility. The version of me that you have in your head, that's your problem. The version that they have of you in their head is, your, is their problem. You will get exhausted constantly trying to recreate people in the comment section, constantly trying to recreate yourself to people in the comment section and what people say about you. Just get this reality and get this understanding. I don't have to explain myself to you. What did Jesus do? He remained silent. How does a king love when he's been falsely accused? He doesn't even acknowledge it. He doesn't even acknowledge it. I'm going to keep going. How do you love when you know somebody's dirt? Oh, yeah. How do you love when you know somebody's flaw 
and you know their weakness? Do you use their flaw as ammunition? And you're like, I wish they would say something because I got dates, time, screenshots. <laughs> I got screenshots and everything. I got so much tea. I wish you would try it. How do you love when you know somebody's flaw? Let's see how the king will handle it. John chapter 8, verse 3. It says, then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act. She was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But, but what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have Something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though, look at this, y'all, he did not hear. <laughs> so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. So, so how, do you, how do you love when you know somebody's weakness, here's a little slogan that Jerry made that I want you to live by. Don't throw a stone that will be thrown at you if you're behind the scenes, everybody knew. Don't throw a stone that will be thrown at you if you're behind the scenes, everybody knew. Don't throw a stone that will be thrown at you if you're behind the scenes, everybody knew. In biblical terms, extend grace. Extend grace and pray for them. See, this, this type of conversation, there's a desperate need for unlearning in the area of what we call a man and what we call love. And how we have got in this dangerous place is due to what I like to call our first teachers. Who got to you first? Your first teacher of sex. Your first teacher of pain. Your first teacher of what you do when you're upset. Your first teacher and a lot of us we're struggling because we have to try to unlearn the first lessons that we were taught now the biblical example the kingdom agenda was for parents to teach you first parents train your children up in the way that they should go train in the hebrew means to drag <laughs> it's like drag your children in the way that they should go and when they're old they will not depart from it but unfortunately a lot of us, the first teachers of trauma was our parents. Gosh, the first teacher to molestation was your stepdaddy. And so now here we are, grown and adults, trying to unlearn things. And maybe this is the issue. We've been taught wrong. But are you willing to relearn and be taught the right way because your first teacher matters? Please listen. There is this mystery in victory. There's a mystery and victory, and I have discovered the secret to spiritual success is not just tied to discipline, obedience, and consistency. It's also tied to our ability, to our ability to discern who not to listen to. Did y'all hear that? Yeah, yeah. Your, your secret to spiritual success 
It's not just discipline, obedience, and consistency. It's your ability to discern who not to listen to. And I can't speak for anybody else but myself, but is there anybody who's arrived to this place? I have to have quality in my corner. I have to have quality in my corner. I don't want to lease my ear to somebody who sends me in recovery season after recovery season. I want to have some anointed friends. Is there anybody else in the room like that? I want to have anointed friends, not just friends that knew me since high school. That's cool to have friends that I've known for a long time, but I want to have anointed friends. You know why? Because the Bible says the anointing breaks yokes. I want to have relationships that when I hang with you, stuff breaks. I want to have a relationship and I want to have brothers that they help break my ego and they help break my pride. Help me not be so concerned about feeding my my ego, but let me feed my spirit. I need people in my life who break something. Because powerless preaching, powerless pulpits creates powerless pews. And the caliber of a man is directly connected to the quality of his counsel. I'm preaching, y'all. I'm preaching, and a lot of us don't even recognize you are a byproduct of the level of teaching you sit under. Who is in my ear matters. And so I recognize in society today, in society today, I believe we have three types of men. We have the self-made man, the culture-made man, and the kingdom-made man. Are y'all ready for this? Are y'all ready for this? I'm going to keep going even if y'all weren't. The self-made man, this is the type of man, he's a loner. Most likely an introvert, very secretive. The way he loves you is based on the love that he taught himself. He loves you based on what he taught himself as love. But the problem with that is when a man teaches a man how to love, that could become problematic and an issue because you can't love a woman the way you love a man. And when he doesn't understand this, he's real rough with you. He's real stern to you. He's real direct to you, very sarcastic to you because he's treating you like a man. But he hasn't been taught tenderness and gentleness. This type of brother, he don't believe in no type of therapy. He's not trying to do no type of counseling. He can never see himself. You know why? Because he taught himself. The worst type of combination is when somebody's ignorant and arrogant. When you're ignorant, you think you know everything. When you're arrogant, can't nobody tell you anything. (laughs) The worst combination with this type of man is I never seek out therapy and I never seek out counsel because I'm self-counseled. And please hear me on the night. If you allow your mind to counsel you, If you allow your emotions to counsel you, if you allow your thought patterns to counsel you, pain is imminent. And so the woman with this type of brother, she will always fall short because he's loving you like he would love a man. Self-made man. Then we have the culture-made man. This is the type of man who loves you based on how culture has shaped him. So he loves you based on how 90s R&B told him to love you. He loves you based on how he sees other people in culture love their wife. He loves you by his favorite TV shows. And here's the thing, y'all. I'm like, have we forgot that movies and television is for entertainment, not instruction? (laughs) We don't get education from you guys. This is entertainment. I was counseling a couple one time years ago, and this wife was all mad. She was like, yeah, I was watching this with him. And I was like, why you can't be like that? Why you can't be like that? And I had to say, ma'am. He's not even like that. That's an actor. (laughs) That's an actor. You're saying, I want a man like this. I want a man to treat me like that. He's not even like that. That's an actor. 
And if you want him to love you like an actor, don't get upset when the love is fake. All right. <laughs> Y'all not ready for this. Y'all not ready for this. Now, listen, here's the thing. When culture dresses you, this is the difficulty, difficulty when you allow culture to dress you. When you allow culture to dress you, every time you step in the mirror, you're already out of code. Because culture keeps changing. And so you have to hurry up and go try on another outfit. And then when you look in the mirror to see how you look, it's already changed again. And so it's training you and discipling you how to be an inconsistent man. Because the trends keep changing. I believe that there are sisters watching this message that you would say one of the most irritating things a man could be is inconsistent. If you're going to be a fool, be consistent. If you're going to be sorry, be consistent. So by default, when we let culture dress us, it disciples us to be inconsistent because culture has been my rabbi. So good, y'all. Then we have the kingdom-made man. I'm going to breeze through these kind of quickly because I want to get to our main points. The kingdom-made man, this is the man who understands that love is sacrifice. This is the man who understands that his assignment is to cover you. This, this is the man who understands provision, okay? And not just providing you with food and shelter and clothes. That's like cultural. Men, cultural men do that. When you're a kingdom man, I'm trying to give you so much provisions that it leads an inheritance for my children's children. That's kingdom. Maybe you have been shooting the bar too low. Girl, I'm coming home. I'm providing you food. Look at this place. Listen, bro. Kingdom is... I'm leaving an inheritance for my children's children. You're thinking about the mortgage, but the kingdom man is thinking about his great-grandson. He's thinking about his great-granddaughter. That's kingdom. The, the, the kingdom man is Jesus-dependent. That means, God, if you don't move, I'm not moving. If this isn't your will, I'm not doing it. If I don't have clarity on this, I'm not doing it. I am dependent on Jesus. And this is so good. The last one, we're going to touch on this as we end this. The kingdom man heals. It is my job. It is my job for you to forget that your heart was ever broken. And I want to love you that you can forget that your heart was ever broken and love you like you never have been loved before. I wash blemishes. I wash wounds. Leah was in this place where she was like, maybe if I give Jacob this son, he'll love me. Look at the text. Look at our text. Verse 32, she named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she born a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved. I want you to notice this, y'all. This woman is having sex with this man, and she knows this man doesn't love her. Listen, a man can give you his time. He can give you his body. He can give you his thoughts. He could even come over and spend the night with you, and you still not have his heart. I'm trying to help somebody on the night. You think because he talks to you and he sends you a good morning text, he loves you. I'm looking right here in this text that this man is married to her, having sex with her, and she's giving him son after son, and she knows he still doesn't love me. Listen, ladies, sex won't keep him. If there's any advice I can give you, the bait that you use is probably going to have to be the bait that you continue to use to keep him. And that may not even keep him. Take that right there. If you use sex to draw him, that's probably the only thing that's going to cause him to stay around. But that may not even cause him to stay around. I need character. 
Look at this. Look. 34, again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, this time, look at this, something changed. This time, I'm going to give praise to the Lord. Judah means praise. I think something happened to Leah when she was like, you know what? I'm trying to get him to be attached to me. I'm trying to get him to love me. I'm trying to get him to notice me. But maybe I'm putting too much pressure on you. That's not even for you. That's for God. So now I'm going to focus on the Lord and I'm going to give God praise because he's been good. He's been faithful. He's been loyal. He has been integral. I'm going to give God praise and I don't need to produce for you anymore because I recognize producing for you is not going to fix it. Trying to make you happy, that's not going to fix it. Trying to give you what you want, that's not going to fix it. I recognize the greatest place I could ever be is understanding the love of God for me. And then she stopped producing. Listen, y'all. Listen, this is so good. This is so good. Never view yourself as an option. Always view yourself as a privilege. Never view yourself as an option. Always view yourself as a privilege. One of the ways that you can know when a man loves you is not by him giving you his body, not by him giving you his time, his conversation. One of the ways, I'm going to give you a whole lot more, but one of the ways you could tell when a man loves you is when he gives you his vulnerable self, what scares him, what he feels he can't do, the boy-like tendencies that he never got rid of, and he's ashamed that they're still there. Now watch it, because there's some men who would use the victim card. The victim card is not the same thing as vulnerability. Sometimes they act as though a victim so they can get in between your legs. I'm not talking about that type of man. I'm talking about a type of man who doesn't want to share this with you. Now, listen, all my sisters watching this, if a brother ever tells you his fears, if your husband ever tells you his fears, his inadequacies, the time when his uncle molested him when he was three or four years old, what scares him, and you mock him, you make fun of him, you call him out of his name, you say that you're a punk, you're a coward, it is like a vault has just shut in that man's heart, and it's going to take Jesus and grace to unvault it. Because a man, many times... We don't want to release that part of ourselves. And one of the ways a man loves you, and one of the ways that you can know when he loves you, is when he shows you his flawed self. So good, y'all. Number one, how do you know when a man loves you? He challenges you. I'm not going to be up here lying to you. He's going to make you kiki-ki in his face. He's going to make you feel all good, that all warm and bubbly feeling. There are too many people trying to be politically, politically correct. I'm trying to be biblically correct. Iron sharpens iron. One of the ways that you can know when a man loves you is when he sharpens you. He challenges you to pray more. He challenges you to forgive. He challenges you to serve. It's going to be an evolutionary process for the process that you're already in. Somebody say, he challenges me. Number two. The way to know a man loves you, he expands you. Expands your dream, expands your vision. Some of us are thinking too low. You have to keep saying, well, at least he come home. Well, at least he called me. Well, at least, well, at least, well, at least. If you have to say at least, you're settling. Because this means you're looking for the least. The, the, the kingdom man expands you. He stretches you. When Jesus was on the cross and he was stretched, he was showing you this is what purpose looks like. It stretches you. And when you run into a king, he's going to stretch you. Number three, so good 
The way a man loves, he helps detox. And I'm talking about a kingdom man. I'm not talking about a fool. A kingdom man. The one of the ways you know he loves you is he helps you detox. There are certain types of brothers. They help you entertain the pollution of Egypt. They give you the meals of Egypt. But a kingdom man, he helps you rid yourself of that. So you'll pop off about something, not necessarily to him, but to somebody else. And say, girl, you know you were wrong. You know you were wrong. Yeah, but I ain't like, I understand that, but you can't be going off on people like that. And listen, if you don't love the principles of God, but you could call Jesus your homeboy, but you don't like his teaching, a kingdom man is going to get on your nerves. <laughs> He's going to get on your nerves. There's so many ladies, I want a kingdom man. But when he tries to help you be kingdom, does it get on your nerves? He helps detox you. It's almost like his love will put you in a dressing room. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he does love a perfect God. But the kingdom man is going to love you in such a way where you're going to be in this dressing room. And he's just going to keep on taking off the layers of Egypt. Keep, off taking, keep on taking the layers off of what happened in childhood. He's not perfect, but he's following a perfect God. He's going to help detox you. Number four, he can lead you. Can I get somebody to put, he can lead. There's a problem if he can only lead you to a king-sized bed, but he can't lead you to the king of kings. He can lead you. It's problematic when a man is just a follower because we have been wired to lead. I'm not a woman, y'all. I thank God I'm not. Y'all, have, y'all are blessed, but I thank God I'm not. But if I was a woman and I saw a man, I would ask myself this question. Can he lead me? That's just the first part. Then the second question would be, Where? Can he lead me and where? Forget how he makes you laugh. Forget how he's so cool, he's so goofy. He just keep me kicking, kicking. Forget all that. Can he lead me and where? Can I trust this individual to lead me into places that I could not get into myself? Because his leadership, similar to like what we said on, on Sunday, his leadership is like an usher. You know what an usher does? It leads you to a seat. His love and his leadership is going to lead you to a seat that you couldn't sit in without his leadership. Number five, he sacrifices for you. Love can be defined as sacrifice. No greater love than this, than he who lays down his life for a friend. He's going to constantly lay down his life so that you can live. He sacrifices for you. You could tell if somebody loves you by how willing they are to be inconvenienced for your benefit, he sacrifices for you. Number six, he covers you. Security is so big for my sisters. Security is so good and so big, but here's the thing. Just because you could provide security in one area doesn't mean you could provide security in every area. A lot of brothers think we're good because she feels secure physically. She knows you're going to fight. Somebody run up, they're going to catch these hands. <laughs> but I need you to secure me emotionally. I just firmly believe a woman should be able to tell her husband, a wife should be able to tell her husband, more things than she would tell her girlfriends. I feel like I lost the whole comment section. Just got quiet. You should be able to talk to him more. Now, brothers, we have to be in a place where she can talk to us because when a woman is in a marriage and she cannot talk to you, this means she's emotionally homeless and the enemy's going to try to provide some type of house for her to try to find her emotions to live in. He covers you. And lastly, he compliments you. This lady asked the question. She said, you know, I, I just want to know, how do I know if something is sent by God or sent by the devil? 
And I said, well, with the devil, it's kind of easy. If this relationship kills, steals, or destroys, <laughs> if it's killing your peace, destroying your sleep, and destroying your outlook of marriage, it's probably from the devil. Probably from the devil. But when God sends something, it's going to complement, not complete. Please notice the verbiage is intentional. He's not going to complete. Only Jesus does that. It's going to complement a work that you're already engaged in. And maybe if we had more biblical accuracy and more scriptures and more sermons that informed us how men should love, it's not about relational advice. It's about a kingdom agenda. If the head, the leader, the covering, the protector could love like Jesus, he could lead a family into the love of Jesus, which could lead a community into the love of Jesus, which could lead a nation into the love of Jesus, which ultimately could lead the world experiencing the love of Jesus. So God, we pray right now, help us to unlearn. Help us to unlearn what we've been attracted to. Help us to unlearn the things that we've liked. Help us to unlearn what we thought a man was. A male is a state of birth. A man is a matter of choice. Help us make the choice to lay things down. Help us make the choice to identify how would the king love in this situation? How would the king respond in this situation? So that I could live and I could be a man who stays on my kingdom vibes. And God, strengthen our sisters to be attracted to kingdom vibes. And God, also raise up more kingdom men. We know that in heaven there's no shortage. But God, we need more kingdom ambassadors, kingdom warriors to step up and hold the bloodstained banner of Jesus so that the world could see this is what manhood looks like. Because real men love Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.